right, guys. Well, let's get started here. Uh, welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. Uh, it is Tuesday, uh, June 14th, um, and we are. Uh, we just had yesterday uh, the second hearing of uh, the January 6th committee, uh, which is, you know, a, a, a nominally bipartisan, um, you know, it's mostly Democrats. I think it has uh, one Republican, maybe two, and we'll talk about one of those certainly in a few minutes uh, on the on the panel um, and to, to investigate uh, what happened January 6th, uh, 2021, when a right-wing uh, mob, I guess you could call them, uh, rioted on the Capitol campus in, in hopes of, uh, overturning, uh, the election. Basically, you know, the idea was to, you know, maybe like the one person in the world that doesn't already know about this, but, you know, to, to kind of disrupt the election certification process, which because of our, uh, archaic and kind of unworkable, uh, system makes it so that, you know, the, the votes go, like the votes go and then they go per state and then they have to go to the federal government and then they each have to get certified so that then the electors from those states can then vote technically on the president. The whole thing is uh, archaic and well, well uh, outdated, but of course uh, is, is the way that we're doing things, even though it's, it's completely uh, pointless and useless. Um, and again, like I said, uh, to begin with, like anybody who wants to call in at any time, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, but you know, the, the call, uh, the, the hearing itself, um, I think is important because there are a lot of unanswered questions about how exactly, uh, this, this riot happened in the first place. Um, how, you know, how much it was maybe allowed to happen by certain elements, uh, within the, the federal government and within the, uh, the Capitol at the Capitol police, uh, if you'll remember, you know, in the in the moments uh, after the riot began, we were hearing about them opening opening doors and opening the gates for people. So there are you know there are some questions that still remain. Uh, whether or not this these hearings will really get to them is an open question. Now it is fun, of course, to watch uh, people like Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, uh, you know, admit that the Trump lost the election. Uh, you know that's fun because we know how much that's going to anger Trump himself. Um, but you know, as far as like what that actually does, I do think that that is kind of an open question, and and I think that it is an interesting one. Um, and and there's also the question of like what utility does this have uh, for the left? What utility does this have for progressives? Um, is there a way? that this can be used to reach out to uh, normie libs to kind of radicalize them. And I kind of made that argument on Twitter uh, yesterday and got a pretty interesting response, I thought, uh, mostly pretty um, pretty respectful and, um, you know, open for, for conversation. Uh, you know, basically what I said was that tens of millions of normie libs are watching the 1-6 hearings and people on here on Twitter are arguing over whether or not it's cringe to watch rather than using it as a way to show the danger of the far right and the necessity of a strong left. Um, now, I, I stand by that. I think that that is uh, a legit point. 
uh, to make. Um, but I do understand uh, the other side of this argument, the, the side that says, um, you know, none, none of this stuff is really going to affect too much how, how people think about politics. You know, normally libs aren't really a, a quote-unquote, like, gettable uh, group. That they're not a group that are going to be like amenable uh, to to left politics and to try to use this hearing is is a mistake, a tactical mistake. Um, I mean, I guess that my answer to that uh, is is kind of just like you know the um, the hearings are happening like no matter what, and lots and lots of people are watching them and listening to them. So uh, to to just pretend that it's not happening seems seems like a, a, a bit of an own goal. Like um, to just pretend that that this stuff doesn't that it doesn't really matter that people are paying attention to this, or to or to pretend that the only thing the only thing that we can really talk about as far as this as far as how people are interacting with this is that it's you know cringe and bad. Like that just to me does not really seem like a particularly like useful way to look at something like this, especially when like at the end of the day. The people who are uh, who who we're talking about here, and the people who stormed the Capitol, and Trump himself, of course, and and his his lackeys, uh, are all you know the political enemies of the left. You know these these guys are not our friends. These are like there's no way that you can like get these MAGA guys like on board. It's much easier to kind of radicalize and convert these uh, the the normie libs, uh, the kind of the, the more like accessible like liberals than than it is to uh you know like convert some far right guy who thinks that uh that Trump uh like won the election or something so so that's like generally like my feeling on on how uh this stuff is playing out but then there is like another aspect of it and I think that this should really be addressed which is that in a, in in a lot of cases here, uh, the way that a certain member of the hearing panel is being treated, and I'm speaking, of course, about Liz Cheney, who is the uh, Republican Congresswoman from Wyoming, the daughter of the former Vice President, um, a far right, far 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 right individual uh, who voted with Trump 93% of the time. I think the only times that she um, went against him were uh, when she voted against giving aid to people uh, during the pandemic and when I think there were a couple of foreign policy things where he was like insufficiently psychotic um, and, and you know she, she, she wanted a more aggressive foreign policy stance but otherwise she's been pretty locked in she's been pretty on board uh, with with the Trump agenda and with the far right agenda um, but her, you know, the one thing that she has done is that she has uh, pushed back on the Trump uh, stop the steal um, politics, and she has been, you know, a critic of January 6th. And for some reason, uh, just by doing that, that has catapulted her into the good graces of liberals, uh, whether it's you know the the MSNBC, CNN, uh, cable news hosts, or I think perhaps like most disturbingly, uh, this Robert Reich. So Robert Reich, uh, the former Labor Secretary, 
um, uh, former uh, Clinton uh, uh, appointee who who uh, who has a a Substack, and in it uh, is is calling for Liz Cheney uh, to be president Liz Cheney for president this is this is what he this is what he he posted uh yesterday on his on his newsletter um he he said that uh I want to suggest someone who isn't even a democrat and whose positions on many issues I and I suspect you strongly disagree with but who could possibly be the best president of the United States um and then he go goes on to say uh that he is speaking of um Liz Cheney um which is which is just really just uh, completely completely out of, out of whack with with reality. Um, he he goes on to say in in one of the most uh, I mean so so dur- like during this whole thing uh, he's talking about how she's never wavered. She's a firm conservative. She's you know she's proud. Um, she's brave. And then I think like this this line, which I think is just the one that is just uh, completely over the top in her courage integrity and integrity cheney although conservative reminds me of senator paul wellstone one of the most progressive politicians i've ever known they also have in common a love of democracy uh paul wellstone died in a plane accident um back in 2002 2003 uh he was widely seen as a possible uh contender for president in uh 2004 uh he was pretty progressive uh, especially for the time uh, but, um, I, I don't, I, I mean, calling him, calling Liz Cheney similar to him is, is simply, it's, it's just completely, um, out of whacking, out of control. But again, I mean, this is a Robert Reich editorial. This is an op-ed basically on his Substack where, where he is really making a case for Liz Cheney, uh, for president. Um, and the the comments and the replies are just are just more of the same. I mean, there's just like tons of people in here who are saying, you know, I'm a staunch Democrat, but uh, I would love to vote for Liz Cheney for president. Um, you know, she should run. She's brave. She's strong. So I certainly see uh, that that aspect of of looking at the hearings. I think that they that like there is a little bit of danger. Um, as far as that goes, that that you could uh, be laundering uh, these these talking points, you could be laundering these right wing uh, individuals, uh, you could be rehabilitating them, like we've seen with so many people on the right, from especially from the Bush years uh, during during Trump, uh, where their their uh, their past, their history, their 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 record was just kind of. Uh, brushed under the table or, or you know, swept aside uh, because they were uh, anti-Trump because because they had some criticisms of him, and that's kind of what we're seeing with the January sixth panel. So I certainly I certainly see that argument as well. Um, but I think that I think that that argument itself really uh, kind of shows the necessity of pushing back against this and not allowing um, the kind of you know conservative liberals and conservative just right wing from taking over the narrative uh, on on these hearings and on this topic. 
Um, and again, like I said before, uh, the phone lines are open. If you guys want to call in and join the conversation, uh, please just hit the plus button and and get in line, and and we'll take you. Um, but so those are kind of the two the two big I, I think I think issues here for people on the left. Uh, obviously, for people on the right, uh, you know they they are trying to kind of obfuscate and pretend that these hearings aren't going on or that, you know, that there's not like, um, th that what's going on isn't quite as serious as far as the, uh, as far as, sure as far as the threat to democracy, uh, is going, but the, um, sorry about that. That was my, my watch there. Um, but I, I think that that, I think that all the narratives around these hearings, uh, are, kind of aimed at pushing forward a relatively conservative point of view, whether it is liberals in the Democratic Party or uh, Republicans or other conservatives or other right-wingers, or even like these MSNBC liberals like we, like we were talking about earlier. Um, all, all of these people are trying to uh, create this um, – they're trying to create this way of understanding these hearings uh, that is simply not in line uh, with with reality. And so, uh, Cecile, I saw you there, but you you bumped down. Okay, um, but you know, I, I think that uh, I think that they're all trying to portray these hearings and portray uh, the the January 6th attack themselves in, in certain ways that, that are ways that we should push back on. Um, I'm going to take Scott's call now. Scott, uh, go ahead. Um, just hit the unmute button, which is down on the bottom right. Then you should be good. Yeah, they they got a button now that pops up and says, you're you're the caller, unmute. So that's a yeah. good update. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I my question is kind of, do you see parallels kind of in the this this gun bill that just came up the the bipartisan gun bill that you know is being being touted as this legendary uh piece of legislation that's the biggest gun reform bill in 30 years blah 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 that you know it's it's our political class coming together in a bipartisan way so they can say you know look we're doing something and it's together so we're not it's not purely political um, and really coming up with nothing. Like, I don't think, you know, the, the, uh, is it Benny Thompson, the, uh, the chairman He's, of the one six? Yeah. 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 That's Benny Thompson. Yep. So he came out and said, we're not going to recommend criminal charges. We don't think that's our role. And, and it was Liz Cheney who's like, well, we haven't made that decision yet. We're, we're still, you know, going through the process. And it just feels like both of them are just kind of performative uh, measures that aren't really there to um, to get anything done. Like, I, I feel like Watergate, at least, there was a um, desire, at least, to hold hold somebody accountable. And this just seems like they're going to blame it all on Trump when there's really 
a, a number of people that are responsible for what happened. Um, you know, this, the secretary of defense that, you know, they fired the secretary of defense and then the, the acting secretary of defense was in charge of, of, um, security. And there was a whole lot going on with that. Um, so well, I just, sure. it was I, just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, yeah. So, um, well, why, why don't you finish your question and then, yeah, then I'll, I'll answer. But I, yeah, I'm going to answer in, in, in two parts. Yeah, I was just wondering if you saw any parallels between those two two subjects. Sure. So, yeah, so thanks for the call. Um, I think that – so I think there are two things uh, to address here. Um, and I think that, you know, first of all, as far as the, uh, the committee, um, you know, uh, recommending indictments or handing down any kind of criminal charges, I mean, they are correct that they can't – I don't – I'm pretty sure that they can't you know, officially do this, I, they could probably make recommendations to, um, <clears throat> to the, uh, justice department, but yeah, it doesn't seem like they're going to. Um, and I think it is also important to say, and this is kind of going off of something that you were saying that, uh, that, you know, Liz Cheney wants to keep it all on Trump and not on the rest of the Republicans. And that is exactly what she is doing. Uh, some reporting came out, I think yesterday that, you know, that she uh, actively tried to steer it away from basically anybody other than Trump or the people in his administration uh, in order to protect the party and to protect a lot of people who are frankly, you know, probably involved with this, uh, you know, in, involved with, with the, um, it, you know, it, maybe not even like specifically with January 6th, but, you know, involved with the general, um, I guess you'd call it like, quote unquote, attack on democracy or attack on voting rights. Um, that is all kind of part of this larger kind of stew, I guess, of of, of right wing um, attacks. So, so I think that that you know that's an interesting point, you know, because we were talking about Cheney. So I just wanted to bring that back to her a little bit, just to just to remind people that um, that that she is she is actively like playing defense and, and pushing back against what what the panel is even supposed to be doing even while she's getting all of this praise uh, from liberals. And so as, as far as the gun bill, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that my view on this is that any gun bill uh, that goes through is almost certainly going to be insufficient to handle the challenges and also uh, take a carceral approach uh, to the problem uh, that will then kind of naturally target uh, people in marginalized communities while not really addressing the the real uh, the real problems and I think that what we're seeing so far is basically that where you know even even the I, I think there like there is one thing that they've announced that you know the closing the boyfriend loophole on domestic violence uh, you know, uh, domestic abusers having access, uh, to guns, like that's good. But basically everything else has been, um, I would, I would say, uh, you know, probably a letdown from the point of view of, of, um, gun control advocates. And I think that no matter, uh, no matter what you feel about what should be done here or not, it's very interesting to, watch this legislation kind of go through because of what it can tell you about politics, right? So like it, the, 
support for universal background checks is 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 huge in the country. I think it's like a, like a super super majority uh, back it, but um, the a majority of a gun owners back it. <laughs> right, right. So, but then you have like so the GOP is going to uh, reject that because obviously because you know like the gun lobby has them in their pocket and like and and look like that's like that is just the reality of it. But the thing is that the Democrats do control uh, the the federal government, so they could, if they wanted to, uh, do something about this. But they won't even do it, even when it's something where they have like such huge support for. Um, so it's it's almost like like kind of interesting and useful to look at this and to almost separate it from specifically uh, the issue of guns and specifically the issue of gun legislation, and just kind of look at this as like this is any this like this is really will show you um, the self imposed limits. Of of the kind of politics that they are practicing, and I think that I think that you could I think that you're right. I think you can make the argument for the hearing as well uh, that these January six hearings are are similar to this, and that like you know they have this like quote unquote bipartisan um, uh, panel right that is just not really going to do uh, much if anything right. It's 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 not going to be it's it's not going to be recommending it, like it like it'll certainly show us a lot of stuff and will be valuable uh, with respect to that, but uh, it's not going to really uh, change anything. And and as we were just talking about, like the inclusion of members of the GOP, uh, the quote unquote bipartisanship is itself like hampering uh, the the hearings' ability to even have the correct kind of hearings. Um, so I do see the similarity. That's kind of what you were getting at, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just kind of that they can, that the political and, and, you know, media class can say, like, that they're doing something, that that this this problem, um, you know, they're holding hearings, they're passing laws, but really not doing anything effective. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, let's take... Um... Let's take John. Uh, John, you should be all set to go there. Uh, hey, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Uh, hey, Owen. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the call. Um, I, I, I just wanted to uh, I wanted to ask. Oh, sorry. Wait, can you hear me still? Yep, I, I can hear. Yep. Sorry. Uh, so uh, I, I, I just wanted to kind of uh, say that you know. I, I don't think that the focus uh, should be on the January 6th hearings. Uh, not that there is a singular focus to be on. Um, I don't think that this is going to broadly have an effect on anything that the left should be invested in. Um, I, I, I've, I've been involved in organizing and uh, I do a lot of door knocking. I do a lot of uh, phone banking calling. Uh, you know, no one that uh, I, I talk to who is working class thinks that anyone will come of this or I think that anything will come of this or that um, uh, th th that there will be any consequences for this kind of thing. It's all it seems like just a spectacle uh, to, 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 to most people. Um, I, I think. Um, I, I think this 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 uh, lends itself to like a broader issue with the Democratic Party uh, in that. They seem to be very reactionary in terms of 
trying to respond to culture war things that the Republicans come up with. Uh, and they do a bad job of messaging what they've done effectively or how they've affected people or done things in the government. Uh, so I think even if these hearings have some sort of effect in terms of maybe some legislation, maybe some people get locked up, I don't think broadly it'll have any kind of good messaging that comes with it because I think even at the end of the day, the Democrats will do a bad job of saying what came of this, how they did this effectively, and how this will, quote unquote, save democracy or uh, have have a material effect on the people whose lives, uh, uh, you know, whose lives dictate whether they vote for the Democratic Party or not. Yeah, definitely. So, so John, if you want to just stay on the line here for a second, because I am, I, I, I do want to kind of ask you this, um, especially as somebody who, who organizes and someone who is, you know, out, um, and, and talking to, to people, you know, like, I think a lot of this conversation sometimes, because a lot of it happens online and in online spaces, uh, kind of loses sight of, um, real life. Right. So, um, I, I understand what you're saying about like people not thinking that anything's going to come of it. I think that, I think that the point that I'm trying to make, and, and maybe I'm not making it uh, uh, very well, but is that, um, you know, we have this opportunity where where millions and millions of people are watching it, like whether they're watching it as spectacle or not. And so um, do you think that there is a, there, there's an ability there to kind of, you know, use that focus and use that attention in order to uh, kind of activate people and, and, and get people to be uh, more invested both in like electoral politics and like real politics as a whole? Um, 100%. Uh, I think spectacle can definitely be used for that purpose. Uh, in terms of the January 6th hearing, I think for the average person, uh, and this is not, you know, trying to delve into, you know, voters or dumb territory or anything like that. I think the the, the kind of minutia and legislative language that uh, people use in these hearings, trying to be proper, uh, trying to, you know, use big words, trying to, you know, go through the whole motions of it, that kind of loses people. I think a big, big part of what gave Trump the ability to speak to normal people, or at least give the illusion that he's speaking to normal people, is the fact that he just said things and he he just said things you know there, there's no politician double speak it's literally just how you would have a conversation with your dumbass friends you know if you're you, you're drunk or you're just shooting the shit uh and i think the these hearings kind of you know they're a good spectacle but i don't think that if they continue using the language and continue doing the procedure the way that they normally would, that it can be used to activate people in the way that you're describing. I think if maybe they went, like, if they went off the books and, and, and kind of said, you know, you know, did like, did like crazy Republican culture war kind of uh, rhetoric, but you know, on the Democratic side to kind of, uh, you know, incite people to, to, to voting and showing how, you know, the Republicans were crazy. But I feel they're too invested in making sure that this is institutionally proper in order to activate anyone uh, that is, 
working class and would not be uh, uh, incentivized to vote normally. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds. It also sounds like you're saying that um, that there's a problem of messaging here, right? That they that they don't have the ability to really sell this in the right way. Um, or 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 that or that or that this is or that maybe that this is like a, you know an indicator of a larger messaging problem. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. I say uh, they have the opportunity to do it. I 100% think that there is potential when there are this many eyes on the process to do something about it. If it, you know, it, it's easy to be a Republican, you know, just say some lies, say some nonsense. Uh, it, it's harder to do that, I guess, on, on, on the liberal side. Uh, but, you know, you know, Trump could just go out and say, hey, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're crossing the border, they're doing whatever, they're doing this, they're doing that. And that would kind of like, you know, create some kind of uh, issue with internal conflicts that people are already dealing with. Uh, I don't see what the Democrats would do on their side uh, in order they would be able to say on their side to uh, kind of pull people to their side. Um, You know, the the issues that would deal with this, I I would say maybe try to hammer home how many people have already been arrested. You know, it's hard because, I mean, to be honest, Trump and his uh, allies did a good job. He moves like a mafia boss. He doesn't say anything directly on open lines of communication, you know, I assume that they get rid of any kind of notes or any kind of uh, written communication that could um, that could incriminate him. So, you know, there's no, you know, I, and people have been saying this all the time, show me Trump in handcuffs. I think the entirety of the Trump presidency, Democrats have been saying, Trump's doing this bad, he's doing this bad, he's doing this bad, but then they never end up you know, arresting him and sure they get a couple people, Flynn and things like that, and they get pardoned. But, you know, whenever I'm door knocking, whenever I'm calling, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares about, you know, these lackeys. Nobody cares about these, you know, shows of, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, you know, it, it, it could, it, it's something and legislatively and, you know, on the, the moral the side of moral justice, it's it's good that it happens. I'm just saying from a messaging perspective and in a way to affect people that are actually out there watching this normally, I I don't know if they're doing as good a job as they could to, you know, use this uh, as as, as some kind of uh, way to incite people to either vote, organize, uh, or do anything positive. Definitely. So uh, thanks, John. Just just before uh, b- before we take the next caller, um, uh, what is it that you do door knocking for? What what what's your? Uh, oh, what uh, progressive campaigns. Uh, I I don't want to say. Uh, you know, I'm linked to my Twitter. I I go wild on there. I'd rather stay anonymous. But uh, I do it for uh, DSA, uh, for progressive campaigns in my district. Uh, of course, AOC uh, for Bernie, uh, for Jessica Cisneros, anyone who needs it uh, across the country, fundraising. Uh, door knocking, uh, canvassing, anything that they need uh, in my uh, district and in my general area. So, uh, you know, join your local DSA, um, you know, fight the good fight and uh, try to unionize your local Starbucks. Excellent. All right. Uh, Thank you, John. So we're going to take, we'll take Marshall now. Marshall, you're up. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. All right. Thanks. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask you directly, you know, because you've talked a few times about how the hearings present a sort of opportunity to reach uh, what you call the the normie 
libs. And I guess I'm just curious, what does it look like to you to take advantage of such an opportunity? And I guess the context behind this question is that I actually think that what we've increasingly seen is that there is a a pretty strong correlation between taking this very, very seriously and calling it a coup and all of this sort of very kind of, um, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's untrue necessarily, but very sensationalist uh, description of the event with actually having very increased normie lib sensibilities to the extent that I think that their main characteristic is, I mean, really above all else, that they think that the system is ultimately a good one and that the problem is that it's basically been hijacked by very undecent people and that this represents this kind of attempt at hijacking something that is good by crazy people. And that's why they rally behind somebody like Liz Cheney, despite having abhorrent politics, because they see her as a decent person. And so, you know, with that in mind, I guess I'm just asking, like, what would it look like to take greater um, opportunity of these hearings? Would it look like framing it as something even more heinous? Would it be linking it to more structural issues? I guess I'm just curious to hear um, what that means to you, um, I guess, as you've been articulating it thus far. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, I think that uh, I, I guess the way that I would answer that, you know, first is to say that, um, you know, like I agree with you um, uh, with with all of your uh, critiques here. And I think that if we are in a position where someone like Liz Cheney, um, but but I think, again, I, I think that you're making a much broader argument. Um, and if you know, if, if if I'm misinterpreting you, just just jump in and let me know. But it sounds to me like you're saying, like, you know, these these are larger systemic issues. And there's there's a, a tendency or, or an effort on the part of both this hearing and uh, the Democrats in general. And, you know, especially uh, on this panel that has Cheney on it uh, to kind of try to target this at a few bad actors, um, a few, uh, bad individuals or, you know, one bad cohort, right? Like that'd be Trump, right? Trump, Trump is like the way that they kind of look at this, like Trump is, um, a, a, a deviation from the normal, uh, GOP instead of just like a natural continuation of it. Right. Um, and I think that the way that they are, uh, doing this is something that, um, should be pushed back against to kind of try to change the narrative. Um, and in that, you can kind of try to activate people uh, to a more leftist politics. You can try uh, to get people to see these, um, try to see these uh, uh, issues as they are. Try to see them as as part of a whole, as opposed to you know just like in individual problems that that can be solved. And that that like you were saying, like there's a tendency and a desire, I think, to see the system as good and something that works. Um, and I, and, and again, I think you're also completely right that that is why, or that's one of the reasons why, uh, they've, they've really jumped on to Cheney as, as, you know, one of the good ones. Also, uh, Adam Kinzinger, um, another, you know, like, uh, like arch right conservative, uh, Republican, um, with, 
abhorrent like politics on like just about everything. Um, but you know, uh, says Trump bad. So everyone thinks that he's great. Um, because that means that, you know, that there are some decent Republicans out there that the, that the right wing is actually important. It's like, like, there's like this idea, I think that people have that, that the right wing is, is necessary. Um, and so that we should try to have like the best right wing possible instead of just trying to crush it, uh, which I think is the correct point of view, uh, because that's what they are trying to do to the left. So why would you try to work with them, um, under any circumstances? Uh, so I think that I think that trying to reshape the narrative is important. I think that I think that my general point as well, and this is a more uh, kind of, I guess more of a like a vague thing, like as far as like you know, like the, this isn't there aren't like specific uh, policy prescriptions here, but I just think that that trying to engage and trying to use this as a moment to um, to to promote uh, you know a leftist point of view to to try to get that out there um, to try to kind of activate these, like however many liberals as you can to like radicalize themselves into some sort of leftism is just a lot better than basically saying that like nobody should care about this. Because also I don't think that it's a situation where nobody should care about it. I think that what happened is, is, is quite serious. It doesn't really matter what terminology uh, you use for it. Um, you know, I, like I call it an attempted coup in the days after um, I've since dropped that. Uh, not because I think that that's like necessarily like exactly like maybe it's like strictly definitionally wrong. Like if you really get into like the nitty gritty of it, um, but it doesn't. But like the, the more that like you like kind of banter back and forth about like what term term to use uh, is just wasted time. And so I just think that that's that that um, that's basically what calling it a coup has kind of turned into, as far as I can tell, is that that's all the like people are just like arguing about back and forth about whether or not. It, it was a coup or not like who like who cares right um obviously like what happened is what happened um no matter what you call it it wasn't good it was you know and, and it was especially not good for the left so um i think that i think that it needs to be pushed back on um and i think that yeah in general like these like structural issues need to be as well uh does that answer your question marshall yeah no it certainly does um it i guess leads me to a slightly different question which is to what extent do you think part of that messaging you're saying we should engage in should include the fact that they're bungling this i mean like because it seems to me that you know one of the things that a lot of liberals ultimately want and are kind of promised time and time again is some sort of red meat right like with the Mueller investigation you know with this there's always this sort of promise that somebody's head is going to roll and that it's going to be central and time and time again it's like gets it's uh, like Lucy and the football i don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that the democrats are just so coordinated and putting on this kind of performance i think it's more that the institutionalism is pretty fundamental to their whole political ideology. They need to uh, defend the system. It's, I mean, they also rely on it materially. I don't think that they like necessarily that they can't do anything about it. Even the politicians themselves, it's more of an example of their position sort of crumbling under the weight of its own contradictions ultimately, because they are, they have a position that they cannot abandon because it will, completely destroy their position to abandon it but it basically neuters their response to fascism 
that hurts them as well. I guess I'm wondering, do you think that part of the messaging that we should be aiming at, you know, this base that is tuning into these hearings is these folks that have been saying these things to you about how we're going to, you know, hold Trump accountable and all that. They're not giving you what you want and we will get those things. I don't know. Does that sound feasible or an alley that we should be pursuing? I mean, I, th- I, I think that it's I think it's a really good point. I think that um, I think that there's probably some middle ground there, right, where it's like, look, you know, the, the information that we're getting out of these hearings, the information that we're getting here is important. Um, it's it's good to have it. Uh, so let's have it. Right. Uh, but let's have it with the understanding. I think this is kind of what you're getting at. Like, let, let's have it with the understanding that uh, simply having that information uh, is not going to lead to to anything at the legislative level. And if we want to make change, we need to make it, you know, uh, either like in the streets or or I guess, you know, like I, I guess uh, at the ballot box, although I'm, I'm kind of uh, less uh, hyped up on electoralism, I think, than, than maybe other people are. But but um, I, yeah, I think that I, I think that that's probably like the right approach i mean i like i i do i do want to stress that i think that your structural critique is a good one and i think that that's one that should really be emphasized um but i think that it it should also i I think that it should also be recognized that the information that we're getting out of these hearings is important and is uh part of part of something that can be like even if they're not going to use it at least they are providing the information, if that makes sense. Sure. No, that's a really good point. Uh, thanks again for taking my call. Absolutely. So thanks so much, Marshall. Uh, now we're going to go to uh, to Cecile. Cecile, you should be all set. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, all set. Yep, go ahead. Oh, hi. Yes. Oh, that's great to talk to you. Um, so uh, I'm calling from Ireland. Uh, I'm, um, I was born in Germany. I'm half French, half Polish, born in Germany. I live in Ireland now. And um, I just wanted to call in because I've been following American politics really, really closely for the last uh, 10 years or so. And as an outsider watching the whole thing, as somebody who's grown up and went to elementary school, kindergarten, everything, uh, you know, in Germany, obviously with its unique history, um, to watch everything that's been happening in the United States, I could, because just to you know go back for a second, I can tell you that I know it's different in America, but when you grow up in Germany, and like I said, I'm not German myself. My mom is French. My dad is Polish, born in Germany. So um, as somebody who's grown up in Germany, who uh, you know went to school there, I can tell you that fascist history, Nazi history has been really sort of pounded into us from really kindergarten um like we it's i'm very unlike uh, the united states from what i understand where everything is very much you know sort of um uh, i can't think of the word now you know where everything is kind of portrayed as better as it was in germany really you're being told that this was absolutely horrendous and that we should be aware of our history from the beginning so it would never repeat itself and um so being taught fascist history, you know, from from being a child, um, watching what's happened in the United States in the last 10 years has been horrifying. 
um, you know, obviously, I, I, I uh, you know, I was marching and I was Antifa in Nuremberg uh, when I was like 17 years old, you know, when there was no mention of Antifa in the United States yet. Um, you know, and and there was it just like suddenly I heard about, you know, that there was a development in, in, in America and why the left rose up, the fascist right also rose up in, in America. And so suddenly it wasn't just the Bill O'Reilly Republican Party. Uh, you know, you had the Steve Bannon wing and all of this kind of, uh, you know, th these kinds of movements. And it was horrifying to see what happened. And seeing everything now with the January 6th committee and, and at the, 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 the attempted coup, and in my opinion, it was an attempted coup. Um, and I, I understand the sort of leftist instincts to kind of downplay it or to, because it, it's just... It's, I think a movement like this hasn't really happened before, whether on the left or the right. And so for Americans, I, sometimes I think that you sort of, you don't really, under, and it's not, I, I, you know, I don't mean to be, but it's just, no, 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 to ahead. me, yeah. you know, it's just to me watching January 6th, it was because I was watching it, actually. I was watching the vote count. I'm such a nerd. I was watching the vote count on CNN Europe. And uh, I was watching it and seeing what happened. It was genuinely horrifying. I was absolutely horrified. And and I, I understand the leftist instinct of wanting to, you know, when you see Liz Cheney and the Democrats, I mean, it's so pathetic. It's horrible. I get it. I totally get it. But on the other hand, I really just want to say that you should never, ever, like, because if, you know, this something like this can happen again, and um, sorry, I'm a bit nervous, but it. I, I just want to say that I, I think anyway, talking about the January 6th committee, I just want to say that I think the impact is going to be measured upon whether the DOJ takes, takes action or not. The whole Mueller thing was a debacle. It was embarrassing. It was pathetic. And the January 6th committee, as competent as they have been, I have to say, to my surprise, and they have been in their presentation, fairly competent. Um, I think if the DOJ doesn't take any action, it's going to be a debacle, it's going to be embarrassing, and nobody's going to remember it. So to me, everything depends upon if the DOJ is going to take any action, otherwise it's going to be an embarrassment. And uh, the Amer America is really in a very, very, very precarious state right now. Sorry, I'm rambling, uh, but no, no, that's, no. that's that's my yeah. opinion. I think, I think that... Um... I think that in that case, it's going to be a debacle because I don't see the DOJ taking action uh, because Merrick Garland, I do not think, is interested in doing that. Um, and so I think I think that I don't it, it does just does not seem like like there's going to be or like, you know, if there are any charges, it's going to be pretty low level. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, Cecile, I, I think that, you know, one thing that's happening over here that maybe and and you seem pretty well informed on on US politics so uh so you may know that but just in case you don't you know uh, one thing that's happening right now is that all of these Trump allies these um uh this this stripe of of republican this stripe of right wing uh they are specifically going out to um uh they they are specifically getting elected to all of these local and state positions so that they can then affect uh, the vote counts in 2024. Yes. I mean, like that is specifically what they're doing. Um, so 
there's you know it's it's some um it, it's it, it's you know it, it's it's an interesting it's it's an interesting thing uh to think about uh but you know ultimately um oh uh, you know like the i mean like the, they the the panel itself is not going to recommend any criminal charges um now whether or not like DOJ decides to take some to make some criminal charges from this um that like that is really the question sorry if i wasn't uh clear there um but it doesn't seem to me uh like there's really much of a chance of that happening uh again because garland is is uninterested and as uh, as as a friend uh says uh in in message here uh, the german example also reminds us that it took the liberals empowering fascists for fascists to come into power. So yes. um, there's, there's, there's certainly also, also that concern. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's, it's just, I, I follow everything very closely. And I, I know that, uh, you know, all over the country, they've been passing laws, you know, to make voter suppression easier and, you know, to make it easier to overturn, um, you know, the votes on the, on the state uh, levels and everything. And to see the, to watch the Democrats, and you know, I'm not a Biden fan at all. I I think he is absolutely, It's so pathetic. I like every day. I want to like you know bang my head against the wall. It's absolutely horrifying to watch a country slow walk into fascism, and that's what I feel that America is right on its way to. Because you have the Republicans that are really dead set onto becoming full blown fascists, and the Democrats are like talking about, you know, needing a stronger Republican Party and, you know, uh, not doing anything on anything. And it's just it's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. And, yeah, they're going to get killed in the midterms. And then in 2024, Biden is going to get crushed because he's a shit show. I'm sorry. He's a complete shit show. I really was hoping in 2022, uh, sorry, 2020, when not only did he get elected, they won the House, and then in January they won the Senate. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to recognize, you know, the huge, like, chance to turn this country around, especially after January 6th. My God, it's like you have to do something, you know, everything you can, voting rights, you know, build back better, all of this, these things. And then they just fucked up one thing after the other. And I just I can't like sometimes I just it's like a it's a horror movie. I'm sorry. No, you know, I think this is, I mean, it's just a really important perspective, I think, for people in America to hear as well, uh, that uh, because, you know, I have family in Europe um, and, and I have family and friends uh, and 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 that is uh, like, that's that's the perspective, you know, that's that's the perspective um, that like, you know, I think with with distance, uh, people are able to have kind of a better view of things. And I think the people in Europe uh, are looking over here uh, with, with horror. So thanks, Cecile. Thanks for your call. Um, we're going to, we're going to take you. Sam now. Uh, Sam, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Hey, Owen. Thanks for having me back on. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah. So what's up? Uh, I've been listening to the show. Good show. Uh, good callers. Um, I do find the discourse over the last year and a half or so around January 6th maddening um, in a lot of ways. And I guess I should start by saying that I don't think that the Democratic Party is worth shit. I think it's a garbage party. Um, it's a failed party. I mean, I guess it succeeds in being a grift for the members of it, but ultimately it's a failed political party. 
Um, having said that, I don't know what any of that has to do with whether or not the left should care about a a revanchist fascist movement in the U.S. that was behind the Capitol riot on January 6th. Um, I think a problem is we look at that event in isolation uh, as something that was just a one-off that happened by itself. And in that regard, you can almost see it as funny. Um, and there were some funny elements to it. I mean, people dressed up in costume, walking around the Senate, not knowing what to do. But when you look at it as part of this broader uh, surge of reaction in the U.S. that's also behind overturning Roe versus Wade, that's behind the attacks on transgender individuals all across the country, that's behind the rollback of economic rights all around the country, it becomes uh, a bit more troubling. And the lack of effective response from the Democratic Party, the fact that the Democratic Party is a failed party should make the left care about this stuff even more because there is no uh, institutionalized opposition to it at the moment. Um, and I, I, I just, I think that there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, attack certain people, but I think that they come at this in, at a very, from a very dishonest place where, they're formulating their politics in reaction to what the most annoying liberals are saying about things rather than what a anti-capitalist, socialist, communist, whatever you want to describe yourself, how we should be responding to a very threatening right wing movement that is gaining power in the country. Yeah, I think I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, what do you I mean? I, I would ask you, I think, what, uh, what, what Marshall asked me, which is, uh, what's your perspective on, on how the left should approach, you know, not only like this hearing, but, um, but this question in general of how seriously uh, to take this right wing movement? You know, what, like, like what's, what's, the, what's the move for the left here? What's the move for, uh, for, for people on the left who, who want to, you know, activate liberals, you know, radicalize them maybe uh, to to try to push back on the right um, by, by, you know, basically by any means necessary. Um, you know, what's what's the tactical uh, decision yeah. here? Well, I think it is to uh, ar articulate how the Democratic Party. Uh, and as your previous caller said, in, in a lot of ways, fuels the rise of the right through its ineffectiveness. Uh, and through its uh, outright endorsement of far right wing figures, I mean, Liz Cheney, uh, by a lot of definitions herself, is a fascist. So um, she is very much closer to this movement that she pretends she is opposed to uh, than the Democratic Party is, is, is acting like she is. So if you can show that the, the Democratic Party cannot stop this stuff from happening, that you need to turn toward radical politics to counter this stuff and then uh, funnel people toward local organizing. And that includes a lot of anti-fascist organizing. And I know I can't help but notice that a lot of the same and, and this exists mainly online among certain cliques of left wing media people online, I'd say, who uh, constantly uh, downplay what happened on January 6th, attack others for even discussing it as a news story 
they're also the same people that have for years mocked anti-fascist organizing as cringe or as cosplaying. Um, it's, it's almost as though their politics doesn't account for any sort of reaction happening in the U S uh, it's only geared toward, uh, toward, toward confronting liberals, which is obviously a necessary task. I mean, liberals are not our political allies. They're our political enemies as well, but there is a, a much broader fight happening as well beyond, uh, the, the fights against liberals. So, you know, directing people toward radical politics by showing that the democratic party cannot respond to this threat in an adequate way. And encouraging anti-fascist organizing at a local level, I think, are, you know, some things that can be done. Because I think if all of us know that something bad is on the horizon, that the trend lines are not good, and that this this fascist movement is getting more bold. I mean, the previous caller said she's been viewing U.S. politics for the last 10 years. Well, a lot's changed in the last 10 years. And I think we're still kind of operate. Some people on the left are still operating as though Obama's still president. Liberals have lost a lot of power, and there is this reactionary movement that is gaining a lot of power in the U.S., and that's been a huge change in how the right has used their rhetoric and tactics in just the last seven or eight years, I'd say, in this country. Yeah, and it's, it's explained why some liberals have moved over to the far right as well, well you know, yeah. especially, and I think, like you were saying, like you especially see it uh, with these attacks on, on, on trans people and, and black people and anti-fascist uh, organizing as well. Um, but you know, the, the, it, I, I think that sometimes it's hard for people on the left to, to, to see that struggle as part of something as maybe as mainstream, um, as, as like a January 6th hearing. Right. Um, and, and again, like I would just return to what I was saying earlier, um, that the information side of this is really important. It is really important to have this information, uh, so that, you know, not, not only so that you can say, hey, you know, like this is what's going on, but so that you're like prepared uh, for for what they're trying to do tactically. Yeah. And just 30 seconds. Last point I'd say is that this standard that's being applied that, you know, it's not worth caring about January 6th because we know the Democrats won't do anything about it or nothing will come of it or no one will go to jail over it. So there's no reason caring about it is a standard that really is never applied to a lot of other issues that the left cares about. In fact, we wouldn't care about anything if the standard had to be, will Democrats do anything about it? Because we know they won't. Right. Nobody's, nobody's uh, saying that we shouldn't care about health care because Medicare for all isn't going to pass right, right. now. Right. Like, like, like the, 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 the struggle uh, continues. Um, and maybe that's not like the perfect analogy, but, but it's close it, enough. It's another, another, okay. <laughs> Thank right. you, Owen. Yep. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Bryce, uh, we'll take you next. Should be all set, Bryce. Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, all set. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, Owen. Uh, I don't really have a, a massive take on January 6th. I, I do agree with other people who say that it, that there is a tendency among leftists to downplay it and to say that it's not important. Uh, and that's, I think, incorrect. I mean, this was, to me, January 6th was more of the culmination of that whole lame duck period when Trump was actively trying to steal the election. And they were warned about this, uh, or at least the American people were warned about this beforehand. There were even, there were even like war games with generals and, and uh, media figures and politicians saying that well, if Trump wanted to steal the election, there's a lot of like opportunities for him to do it. 
And a lot of that stuff was happening behind the scenes. January 6th was only the most flashy uh, example of that. But if you look at the state legislatures, uh, what they were trying to do with uh, rejecting the like electoral majorities, trying to uh, discard some ballots, like that's really serious. But I also agree with what a lot of other people have been saying is that the Democrats are not going to do anything about it. Uh, and I, even as a, as a leftist on the ground, it doesn't seem like people, well, like uh, other than people who are like traditional, basic, you know, liberals, uh, it doesn't seem like most people care about it. Most people don't even, don't even see it as worth commenting on. Like even among my friends, like you hear like, oh, did you see this thing from the Gen 6 hearing? It's like, yeah, I saw it, but yeah, it's kind of crazy. But that is but, kind of the point, right? That is that, that that is at least they are seeing it, though. Like 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 it, yeah, it, yeah. It, is, it is. People are seeing it. Yeah, pe- people are seeing it, but it's also like uh, there's been so much criminality uh, in the way that elections have been, or in the way that Republicans not, well, not criminal, but there's so many anti-democratic ways in which elections have been handled in America. Is that if they successfully manage to steal an election? through brute force instead of stealing it through voter suppression instead of stealing it through uh uh just other other chicanery uh or like passing kicking it along to you know Antonin Scalia and the Supreme Court so they can decide the election uh it it seems like that's less relevant to the fact that the Democrats aren't standing in opposition to it right like there's a way there's a way for Democrats to have made made the midterms in 2022 a lot easier for them they could have done something that they could have held up that says here's how we're better than they are uh but the fact that they're not doing that tells me that they don't really care uh they don't really care about uh democracy that all that much and so i do tend to think of this january 6th stuff as mostly theater i mean like it's good to get the facts out there it's good to for the historical record but I don't think there's any possible way to take this and mobilize the general public uh, to to like go out and stop this from happening again. Like this, it, it's just the same message that the Democrats have been saying for years, and that you should be scared of Republicans. And that's always been true. And Democrats have always, almost always, been better than Republicans. But you know whether or not they're going to steal the election this way, whether or not they're going to use our undemocratic electoral system whether or not they're going to use voter suppression. I mean, it, it all seems part of the same muddied message. The, the biggest difference here was that there was something flashy that happened and it affected these Democrats personally. And so they're reacting in an insane way about it. Yeah, that's a really I mean, good what, point. What do, you, what do you think yeah. about that? No, I think, I think those, are, um, those are all really good points. Um, I think that, uh, you know, my... My main reaction to that is 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 that you know like I agree with you um uh basically everything that you're saying here I think that it is interesting the way that uh that their solutions uh seem to be kind of insufficient um and that 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 like the the spectacle in the theater i i think was a really interesting thing so i just want to talk about that for a second like like the idea of like the spectacle in the theater of the hearings i agree bryce that 
like what we're looking at here is a situation where they had a huge opportunity um, to really, you know, to even really like take the spectacle and and apply it to what happened in a way that would really expose uh, the danger and the threat uh, of not only like the January 6th riot, but also like these ongoing um, attacks on on elections, um, you know, the, the, like that we've talked about. Um, but instead, it does seem, and I think this is kind of brings us back to kind of the beginning here, and, and this like level of frustration that I think a lot of people in the we've heard from callers and that I was talking about too is that like what they have used it for is to promote uh, people like Liz Cheney uh, to promote uh, this this idea that. Trump was an aberration and that, you know, that the, that the, uh, the two party system as it's currently constructed is fundamentally sound as long as you don't have, uh, you know, this, this one small cohort and not even all of them. I mean, like, you know, like we're already seeing, uh, a lot of the members of this, of the former administration, uh, laundered right back into society, usually through the media. But, um, yeah, I, I think I, th- I think there are a lot of missed opportunities, and I think that the messaging thing is really interesting too. You know, like the, a missed opportunity of messaging, a missed opportunity uh, to really get this get this message through. Um, I'm 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 gonna let you jump in here, Bryce, real quick, and then I think we're gonna wrap. I just have I I just have a couple of other things to say on the other side. So, but um, uh, yeah, go ahead with any any final thoughts. Price. All right. Um, well, I, I, I guess that my final thought uh, here is is that, um, and, and this is just a, you know, just just another another thing for people to think about. But uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, they did have the hearing scheduled for 10 a.m. Um, it's now been postponed to Thursday. Uh, I've heard some chatter. Some people talking a little bit about like maybe there's a big Supreme Court uh, decision coming and they don't want that to kind of stomp all over uh, their news, which, you know, is, of course, uh, not a good thing uh, because there's really only one decision that that could be. So uh, hopefully uh, we won't be having to talk about that again tomorrow. But uh, what we will be is we will be here tomorrow, uh, Wednesday at 1 p.m., live on Colin, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about uh, these right-wing attacks on pride uh, that, you know, that we've been seeing across the country. We saw Patriot Front, a uh, member of this neo, the, uh, 31 members of that neo-fascist group were arrested in Idaho uh, over the weekend. We're going to be talking to uh, Stephen Pigotti from Western State Center and Ari Drennan from Media Matters uh, to talk about Patriot Front and also uh, the role of the media in these attacks. Uh, so that will be at 1 p.m. Um, so if you are listening live or on replay on the Colin app, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe. Uh, if you're listening syndicated on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, rate us. But also consider uh, getting the Colin app because it's really great when when people join the conversation like we saw today. A uh, really robust conversation and and, uh, and and great callers. So thanks everybody for calling in, and thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Bye.